This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. There it is, Buddy Hill alone at the top of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court, mid pocket. Fox again. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast, part of the Pulse Podcast Network. I am your host, Brendan Nunez, and today I have a special guest. It is Tim from Sacktown Royalty, probably better known by his Twitter username, Sacktown Baby Giraffe. How are you doing today, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. I wanted to start. What is behind the Baby Giraffe nickname? I told the story maybe once or twice on Twitter. When I was playing high school basketball, varsity basketball, the high school principal turned to the women's coach during a game. I had stripped the opposing point guard and went down for a dunk. And he said, you know what Tim looks like when he's dribbling down the court? He looks like a baby giraffe. And that nickname actually stuck throughout high school and even into college and just kind of kept it within my sports fandom world. And I did get revenge on that high school principal. This is a true story. I ended up marrying his daughter. So, Oh, there you go. Uh, he is my father-in-law now, so we have a, a very special relationship. Nice. That's a good way to get the nickname. You're over here yeah. dunking, so you're pretty yeah. tall, I take it. Yeah, I'm 6'7", so I'm, I'm, uh, oh, I'm wow. literally okay. a little baby giraffe. Oh, there you go. And then how did you get into the Kings? Because I want to say you've been riding for Sacktown Royalty since, what was it, like 2013? Something crazy like that? I've been a member of the site for quite a few years. I've been on staff. I think this is an end of my third year. I live in Phoenix, but I actually grew up in Sacramento. I lived in Sacramento from the day I was born until 2004, I want to say. I think I was 13 when we moved to Phoenix. So I just always kept my fandom alive. One of my brothers also kind of kept his fandom going, even though we moved to Phoenix. And so we've kind of kept that up through our relationship as brothers. And then just through social media and things like that, I always bought League Pass and spent my money, even though it was wasted every season for the most part. So, you know, just hometown vibes, those types of things. I try to get back to SAC maybe once a year, once every other year, just to see everyone. Yeah, makes sense. And like you said, some wasted seasons. It's finally paying off now. The team is all coming together. I wanted to start with kind of a little bit of a game here. Call it over-under. I was going to name a stat for you this season. And give me if you think over-under for going into the next season. 
All right, let's do it. All right. Marvin Bagley's usage percentage. Right now he's at 22.4%. You think that's higher or lower next season? I'm going to go with higher. He'll get more minutes. He'll get more touches, even though he's pretty heavily isolated in the post right now. I think his passing game should theoretically improve with an offseason of practice with coaches and his teammates. So I think we'll see him passing the ball, distributing the ball a little bit more. So I'm going to go with over. Okay. And do you think that he's likely in that starting lineup starting at the beginning of next year? I think he should be. If he's not, Kings either added two superstar big men because I think Bagley can play either position or Dave Yeager is doing something weird with the lineups, but there's no reason not to start him. He's averaging 15 and eight for the year. And since February, I want to say he's at close to 20 points and 11 rebounds per game. So there's no reason not to start him. Yeah, agreed. And then I've seen a couple of your tweets talking about how Fox needs to be taking more shots. It's really not that much higher from his rookie year on a lot better percentages. So for De'Aaron Fox's three-point attempts, right now it's at 2.9 a game, higher or lower next season? Should be higher. Hopefully it's higher. He jumped from his rookie to his sophomore season in his attempts per game. I want to say he was right around two in his rookie year. And we've seen, like you said, we've seen that percentage climb dramatically. Got a pretty in-depth Fox piece coming out. Probably in the next week or so, sorry to my editors, it's probably going to hit the 2,500 word range, which is pretty lengthy. But he's gotten so much better all across the court. His decision-making is better and his shot selection has improved so dramatically that there's no reason he shouldn't be taking at least three and a half to four three-pointers per game next year. This is all, of course, based on the assumption that he keeps the same percentage or even improves. Do you mind me asking what you go into on that article a little bit? No, absolutely. I'm just looking at kind of just a year-by-year comparison. Where Fox ended the year last year, where are our expectations? How did he perform? And then how has he jumped this year? And really looking in depth. So we say, okay, his passing numbers are up. Well, why are those passing numbers up? Or his shooting percentages are up. Why are those shooting percentages up? Things like that. So lots of little charts and graphs and some video breakdown. I was telling some of the guys last night, I went through and watched every single missed De'Aaron Fox three-pointer last season, just to see why he was missing. And this will be a little tidbit in my article that about 70% of his misses, and this is fairly unscientific, just me watching the misses, about 70% of those were short. So they weren't long, they weren't to the left, they weren't to the right. It was all about adding strength. And that's why his three point percentage has, has dramatically risen this year. Okay, makes sense. And then where do you see him potentially taking another step going into next season? One of the big things we talk about with Fox, you'll see it during games, Grant and Doug will talk about it, you'll see it through social media is aggressiveness. So he's taking a few more shots. His free throws are way up. They're more than doubled than last year. But there are times in which the half-court offense, we will see it happen. It struggles. It grinds to a halt. And the Kings are all kind of looking at each other like, who's going to take over? And that's what we need to see the next step from Fox. To go from burgeoning star to superstar is, okay, I'm putting the team on my shoulders. I'm going to drive in. I'm either going to draw a foul or get a bucket. So aggressiveness. And then the other one would probably be defensive consistency. He's a really good defender when he's engaged. He's just not always engaged. And that's tough for a player of his age and who has a large offensive load like he does. But he could be the Kings' best defender next year. He's close to that mark this season. He just needs to make sure that every game he's staying with the same level of focus. Next one I got for you is the home record. It ended fairly good this year. They got one more game to go there, but 24-16. and You think that gets higher or lower next season? I'm actually going to go on the under there. I think their road record hopefully will improve more dramatically than their home record. I would see it right around the same 23 to 25 win range at home. And then hopefully that road record, we can pick up two to three more wins at that 43, 44, 45, 46 game win mark. So do you have the same concerns as me and Rich a little bit? I don't see who necessarily we are knocking out of that playoff race to 
be seeing a 7-8 seed. Like, it's hard to bet against a Utah team that's likely only going to get better with Donovan Mitchell another year under his belt, or betting against a Popovich who's made, what is it, 22 postseasons in a row? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's a really great idea. It's a really complex idea for the Kings. We're the ninth best team in the West. I think that's pretty clear. I think we're better than Minnesota or LA right now or any of the other teams below us. But we're definitely not as good as those other teams. And most of those other teams are going to reload again this summer. So that's where I think the front office has a challenge in not overpaying or not dramatically changing the chemistry of the team. But everyone else is going to be reloading. We've got LA, who we would think is going to add another superstar, whether that's through a trade or an acquisition or signing or whatever that may be. I think they're going to get somebody. Whether or not that's Anthony Davis, I'm not sure. The Clippers are probably going to add one or two stars. Really, the teams I can probably see us surpassing, and this would just be more through their maybe collapse, I guess you could say, than our growth. Maybe Portland. I mean, they're 50 and 28 this year. They're really, really good, but they rely heavily on their two guards. So if they exit the playoffs early and they decide to blow things up a little bit, maybe trade CJ or something like that. And then, like you mentioned, San Antonio, maybe Pop retires or they decide to rebuild. But the West is incredibly tough. And we not only have to get better internally, but we have to find a way to upgrade the roster externally as well. Jason Jones put out an article that had a good point on it earlier this week where there's brand new expectations for next season. And that really can do a lot for a team pressure wise. Is it a failure necessarily or a disappointing season? Failure is kind of a heavy word if they don't see the postseason? I would go probably more off of wins than postseason appearances. So okay. we're probably going to end the year at probably 40 wins would be my guess. Maybe 39, maybe 41, but probably 40. So if we hit 44, that's good growth. I think we've been a little spoiled this year in that we won, what was it, 27 games last year, I think. We were looking at a 13, 14 game win jump this year. So if we can hit another four or five next year, It'll be definitely disappointing to miss the playoffs, no question. But a disappointing season, I wouldn't think so. We have to remember, this is really year two and a half of a rebuild. We were looking at year three. Most rebuilds last four to five years before things kind of take off for most organizations. So patience is hard to preach, but it's something we'll need to have next year. Yeah, fair enough. And I think the fan base is just a little desperate to have some games a little bit later into April with this crazy postseason drought. But the next one I got for you. Bogdanovich's percentages have been a little down this year, three-point and field goal percentage. Right now, he's at 41.9% over-under for that next season. I'll go over. I'm hoping he takes the offseason off. He hasn't had an offseason, a real offseason, since he joined the Kings. The year before he joined the team, he was playing internationally, obviously, and then he played with the Kings his rookie season, and then that summer he played internationally again. And this summer, there is the FIBA World Cup in August. I sincerely hope He's healthy. He's had two surgeries on a single knee with the same injury. So I think it'll go up if Bogey can get some rest, just get healthy, get strong, get comfortable with the offense. And I would expect those percentages to climb. Richard, your normal co-host, actually has a pretty good article coming out about Bogey in the next couple of weeks as well, looking at some splits and why he has struggled as of late. Yeah, he kind of gave me a little bit of insight with that. It was interesting to me how he was pointing out that in the second half, bogey's percentages are way down and since he's pointed that out to me i can't help but notice that in games it's almost like he just needs a little bit of conditioning there is maybe what it is or a lower role throughout the entire game a little bit less of a workload less minutes something like that where do you see his future 
role being on this team? Is it almost like a Ginobili-esque super six man that still closes the game? Or where do you see that in the future? I think if he sticks with this team, which I think is actually a question that has not yet been answered, it's got to be a six-man role. He's not going to surpass Buddy Heald. Buddy's too valuable as a shooter. He pairs too well with Fox in the offense, and Bogey isn't a good enough defender to replace Buddy in that regard. I think it would really help him if the Kings could find a quality, defensive-minded point guard this season. They have Bogey running the ball a lot with Yogi off the ball scoring, and Yogi's a really good scorer, but he's a fairly poor defender, and I think Bogey suffers from that. So I think getting Bogey better help from the bench unit, especially from the perimeter players, will help decrease that workload, as you mentioned. And that's his role with the team, although I think I'm probably one of the few to say this at this point. I would not be surprised to see him off of the team after his contract expires two summers from now because the Kings are going to be paying a lot of players a lot of money in a very short amount of time. The next one I got for you is Barnes's points per game. To start before that, do you see Barnes accepting this player option? Obviously, it's $25 million, or is there a chance that Sacramento goes and reworks it for maybe four years, 80, 20 million a year, something along those lines? I think that the Kings will definitely try. Barnes is kind of a quiet guy, well-spoken, but you don't see a lot of reaction from him during games. So it's hard to tell how much he's loving it here, how much he could be hating it. He seems to be pretty comfortable here. He's got a good role. He's got a more similar role to that in Golden State as opposed to Dallas, where he was relied upon as a primary scoring threat. And I think that is more comfortable for him here in Sacramento as kind of a third or fourth option. So I think the Kings will try to rework the $80 million idea, whether those numbers exactly work out. We'll see. But I would say there's probably a 90% chance Barnes is in a Sacramento uniform next year, whether that's as an opt-out long-term contract signed or the player option. I really don't see him declining $25 million, which he will not see again on an annual basis and exploring free agency and hoping for more. And have you liked his fit with this team? I feel like it's been pretty seamless. He's a really good beyond-the-arc shooter and gives us a good amount of points per game. How have you felt since they brought Barnes in? His defense has been really surprising to me. Yeah, I've loved him. I had probably had fewer concerns than some of the other guys on the Sacton Royalty staff when we thought the Kings were going to go after him. Once the Otto Porter trade went down, he was sent to Chicago. I was convinced Barnes was headed towards the Kings. I think the Kings knew they needed a wing upgrade. Like you said, he's been great. His defense has been really, really good. I wouldn't say it's been excellent at all times, but really, really good. Uh, you think about the Suns game a couple weeks ago or a week ago. He basically shut down Devin Booker during the Miami game right after he joined the team. I think the Kings held the Heat two points over the final last half of the fourth quarter or something in that range. So his defense has been really good. Like you said, his shooting, very, very good for a player of his size. And then he can play either forward position. So versatility is there. The defense is there. The shooting is there. He seems to be a good locker room guy. He's very well spoken. I would be thrilled to have him back at four years, $80 million. I think that would be a really good investment by Sacramento. Yeah, I would agree. I've really enjoyed him here. So the number I got for you, his points per game right now is 14.1. Over or under on that for next season if he's back? I'll go under. I think his efficiency will stay the same. However, we're going to theoretically have Bagley starting, so he's going to get quite a few more touches. I think Buddy Heald will take a little bit less of a scoring role, but he'll be shooting a lot more, especially from distance with Bagley opening up that middle. I do expect the Kings, although I am not for it, I do expect them to pursue a max level free agent. And I think they do end up signing a a big man or even a wing. I see Barnes' touches going down. 
his shots per game going down while keeping the same defensive minded, you know, hitting 12, 13 points per game. You touched on Buddy Heald a little bit, shooting more from the outside. That kind of touches on my next one I got for you. Buddy Heald's percentage of shots from inside the arc. I saw an article, I want to say it was on Sacktown Royalty, about how this offseason he's going to focus a lot on attacking the rim, his finishing, maybe his handles a little bit more. Right now, 54% of his looks are from inside the arc. It sounds like you think that it's going to be a little bit more from outside, so maybe that number goes down. What do you think over under on that 54 inside for next season? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I think Blake Ellington wrote the article on our crew. I think he'll focus on those strengths this season. I mean, we know he's an elite shooter, right? He's top five shooter in the NBA probably, right? I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that as far as outside shooting. So he's got that nailed down. And the next evolution for his game is attacking the bucket. And we saw that last night in the game. He got three or four layups in the first half, and he's been doing that a lot more recently. So I expect his efficiency in that area to go up, but not necessarily his frequency. His best role for the Kings is knocking down three-pointers. We don't have anyone of his caliber, really anyone close to his caliber of outside shooter. And that's exactly what guys like Fox and Bagley need, is they need that outside threat pulling defenders from the paint so they can work their game. So I would expect it to stay right around the average or even drop a little bit next year. The last one I got for you here is the Kings' total points per game. They are actually tied for ninth right now in the league, which is down a little bit from what they were earlier in the year, but they're sitting at 114 points a game. Do you think that's higher or lower for next season? I'm going to go with lower. Hopefully we pick up some defensive mind players. Hopefully our half-court offense is better than the awful version of whatever we run right now. We can't play against a zone right now. We literally just fall apart and ISO against zone. So I think that's a big focus in the offseason for us. And with player development comes half-court offenses, and that comes a slower pace. And we still want to utilize the guys like De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley and Buddy Heald in transition and and make sure we're getting those easy buckets. But as your half-court offense improves, as your player's ability to read the floor and read defenses and set solid screens improves, you can slow down the game a little bit. I mean, I think we've seen our guys are a little worn down right now. They're tired. Their legs are tired. So I would expect that to hopefully drop because we're focusing more on defense in the half court. We're not having to rely solely on getting easy buckets to win games. Those were all of the over-unders I had for you. And just to touch on mainstream topics right now, you talked about the lack of defense. I mean, the interior defense has just been horrific. A lot of that I put on Willie Cauley-Stein. The help defense isn't there. It seems like he can't be bothered to put his hands above his shoulders. As you can tell, I'm good with letting him walk this offseason. Are you feeling the same about that? Oh, absolutely. Under no circumstances do I want Willie back on the team next year. If he were to want to accept his qualifying offer, I would hope we would revoke it. That's how much I don't want him on the team next year. And like you said, he's the worst statistical rim protector among centers in the entire NBA. He's the only center, and I looked this up about a week ago, so theoretically the numbers could have changed. But as of a week ago, he's the only center in the NBA in which opponents' field goal percentage improves by more than 1% when he's defending them. So players shoot better when Willie's at the rim than when anyone else is at the rim. The theory is, well, why couldn't we bring Willie off of the bench, right? Give him $10 million a year, a solid number for a backup big man. He does have some skills, there's no question. But I think it would be really hard for Willie to come off of the bench for the same team he's been starting for for the past three or four years. And I don't think he would respond well to that role. So for me, I think the relationship has expired. I don't think Willie wants to be back, quite frankly despite some quotes that were recently taken out of context. I don't think he wants to be back. 
and I don't blame him for that either. I don't think the Kings particularly want him to be back either. Yeah, and it's frustrating because it feels like the potential is there. It's just a lack of effort. But if you're not going to put in that effort in this contract season, when are you going to really? And I saw you tweet out that you see him getting, that you would be surprised with him getting $10 million a year. I think that he could get anywhere between 10 to 15 kind of in there. But I know the other teams aren't oblivious to that interior defense. Do you think that there's someone that pays just on the potential there? Yeah, there definitely could be, right? It only takes one team to go, no, we can fix his problems or yeah. we can fix his issues. And then they pay him $15, $17 million a year. If he gets a three-year, $45 million contract, I won't be floored. If he gets a three-year, $24 million contract, I also won't be floored. I think there's a lot of money on the market. We talk about that a lot, but over half of the league are free agents. So there's going to be a certain number of players that get way too much money. There's going to be a, a large section of players that get about the right amount of money. And there's going to be a few players that get squeezed out either just in dollar amount or even out of the league next year. So I agree with you. He could get $15 million. I don't think that's a ridiculous number to throw around his potential, like you said. He reminds me a little bit of Michael Beasley in that all the skills in the world, all the talent in the world doesn't seem to have the mental fortitude to work on those skills to become the player you should be. I see it a little bit there. So who else is gone next season. I mean, there's Corey Brewer, Costas Kufis, possibly Barnes, like we said, most likely coming back. I would be shocked, same as you, if he went onto the open market. Who else do you see not there? So I think Burks is definitely gone. Definitely gone. He's been bad. He seems like a nice guy, supposed to be a good locker room presence, but he's been bad on the team. He's frankly had a bad year. Even when he was in Cleveland, he didn't look particularly good. And he was even inactive last night. So... Him being inactive with four games to go doesn't seem to bode well for his time in Sacramento. He quickly fell out of Jaeger's rotation. I think he's done. Like we said, I think Willie's gone. I think Barnes will be. Kufis is an interesting one. I've heard kind of some whispers here and there that the Kings might have interest in bringing him back as a mentor and as emergency big man. I would be a little surprised if Kufis wanted to come back. He's not getting minutes. He's not playing. He doesn't fit well with the makeup of the roster. I hope Costa goes elsewhere. I really like him. I really like Kufis as a player. I think he's a quality role player. He does what needs to be done and nothing more. But I would be surprised to have him back. And then as far as we have a couple of players with options. So I think Frank Mason and Yogi Ferrell will both be back. They're both very, very, very small salaries. Yogi definitely produces at a higher level than his salary. And Frank, he sits at the end of the bench. But you could do worse for a million dollar a year third string emergency point guard. I don't really see the Kings letting him go just for a million dollars in cap space. And then what are your thoughts on the potential of bringing back Corey Brewer? I know Rich has a soft spot for Brewer and I totally get why. Great hustle, three and D, veteran presence, good basketball IQ. Would you be happy to see Sacramento bring him back? I would, as long as they don't overpay. He's probably not a rotational player on a deep playoff team, but we're probably not going to be a deep playoff team next year. The team is much better defensively and actually offensively with him on the court. It's a small sample size. He's been here for probably 20-ish games, 25 games. But I looked it up yesterday. I think their defensive rating with Brewer on the court is 105.7, if my memory serves me correctly. And when he's off the court, it jumps to 111, I want to say, 110. So he's a good defender. He's probably the team's smartest defender. And, you know, he's got that just wild, crazy arms, hustle, energy player. So if it's not an overpay, if we have the roster spot, I wouldn't mind him back. But I would hope that would be an end of free agency. We spent most of our money. We have an open roster spot. You liked it here. I know he tweeted a couple weeks ago that he would love to be back in SAC. So 
one of those end of free agency signings. I wouldn't hate it. I also wouldn't be tearing my clothes into rags if he left. So what positions do you feel like they need to fill in this free agency? The holes, obviously the weaknesses are rebounding, rim protection. There's the free throw percentage, which hopefully just the young guys can get a little bit better there. And Willie being gone with barely being above 50% will make a big difference. Are we really looking at, like we talked about, that center, potentially starting center, a backup point guard that's defensive, and then maybe like a wing three and D guy because you can never have too many of those? Yeah, I mean, you basically nail it one, two, three. We need a big man. There's been some rumors about Nikola Vucevic. If we're going to max him out or make him a large offer, that's a whisper that has grown into a full-blown conversation around the Kings world. And pretty much anyone connected with the Kings has heard that same interest being ported by different people. So you need a big man. I don't know if you need a star big man because I think Bagley is your star big man. I'm nervous to add someone of that caliber and of that cost when I think Bagley can actually become the better player. But you're not sure if Harry Giles is is quite ready to start. So I would like to see a rotational big man. So someone that can start, someone that can come off the bench, either one, not going to be too high of cost, either a good rebounder or a good shooter. I mean, both would be perfect, but someone to stretch the floor would be great. And then, like you said, a backup point guard, someone defensive-minded. Patrick Beverly is far and away my favorite offseason target. Number one priority, if we could sign Beverly for 10 to $12 million a year, I think that would be a huge win for the Kings. They don't really have any positive defensive presence coming off of their bench. And that's exactly what Beverly could provide. Assuming he had interest in coming here. And then a backup wing. I would like to upgrade over Corey Brewer. Like you mentioned, like I mentioned, good energy guy. Not necessarily should be playing 15, 20 minutes of games. So someone in that range, if we can tackle those three things, every team is going to have weaknesses. But if we can turn some of our weaknesses into averages and some of our averages into strengths, that's where you see teams catapult themselves from mediocre to good. In regards to those bigs, I got a couple here for you, and I wanted you to kind of rank them in your order on who you would prefer. Uh, But to touch on Vucevic, my thoughts with that is I'd rather split the money a little bit, like you said, put some towards Beverly, and then a decent big and a nice wing as well, rather than throwing most of it at just this one target in Vucevic. Are you the same way with that? And I guess this fantasy of bringing Boogie back kind of falls into the same thing. Yeah, I'm absolutely in your same court. Some of our guys at Sacktown are, are very, very much pro Vucevic, and I get it. I mean, I think if we add him, we're at a higher percentage of making the playoffs. I mean, he's a 25-13-5 big man, shoots 38% from deep. He's really, really talented, but I think long-term, you're going to hurt yourself with that contract. So I agree, parcel out that money to quality upgrades rather than one big risk that could actually hurt you in the long run. What do you value when you're looking for a big here? Tell me if you feel the same way about this. I'm not too concerned about the rebounding issues because I think more minutes towards Bagley and Giles will help that a little bit there, but someone that's a decent rebounder, not horrific there. And then the rim protection is big for me and spacing the floor. Those two are what I feel like go above the rebounding. Agreed. Agreed on both counts. I think Giles and Bagley will get better with rebounding. I think Bagley plays a lot of power forward. He plays a lot in the perimeter. So some of his rebounding numbers are lower than they would if he played kind of a full-time center big man position. I agree. Rim protection, probably number one. I guess I should say rim protection 1A and shooting 1B would definitely be the priority. So then ranking these ones, thinking about what you're going to have to pay for them. I have Deadman, Miritich, Brook Lopez, and Vucevic. All right. So I've been pretty vocal about this first one. I think Deadman is probably my favorite. He shoots, I want to say, around 37 38% from three on three attempts per game. He's an okay shot. He's not a great shot blocker, but a quality defender. 
a decent rebounder, and he's probably going to cost the least of any of these guys, which opens up other opportunities to get quality players. From there, I would go Brooke Lopez. I really like Brooke Lopez. His age, he's 30, I think he'll be 31 next year, and he's going to demand a big contract to lure him off of the Bucks, who are probably the favorite in the East and quite possibly the best team in the NBA, depending on what you think about the Warriors this year. So, you know, he's probably going to take at least $20 million a year at, at age 31. That's a little scary, but he shoots a high percentage from three. He is a top five shot blocker in the league just below Rudy Gobert on the Utah Jazz in defensive field goal percentage at the rim so I mentioned that number earlier Willie's right around plus 2.5 percent meaning offensive players shoot 2.5 percent better when defended at the rim by Willie and Brooke Lopez last time I looked was at negative 10.8 percent and Rudy Gobert was at 11. He can rim protect. Now, he's not a great defender, and that's something we have to keep in mind. He can't switch. So, you know, if you've got a wing to big man or a point guard to big man pick and roll going, Brook Lopez has to stay with the big man. But if you just need straight rim protection, he's your man. From there, I'd go Miritich. Probably going to cost around the same as Lopez. He's kind of a mystery man. He's had some injury concerns. He's a good shooter, but not a great shooter. Good rebounder, but not a great rebounder. And then Vucevic would be my last, even though he's the most talented of the group by far. Like we discussed, the risk factor there is so high. You're threading such a thin needle that I would be really concerned about that signing. Yeah, I actually got the exact same order with you. I've done digging into Deadman a little bit. I think that he's played with a high-paced team in Atlanta, the only pace higher than Sacramento. He had a crazy corner three-point percentage. I want to say it was 43%, which is just ridiculous. And he's able to play that defense a little bit. He's only on $7 million a year right now. So I think that for the deal that you're getting, I think Deadman's the perfect fit there. And then going into backup point guards, you already touched on Beverly being your number one. So I got three others for you to throw in there. I got Corey Joseph, Ricky Rubio, Alfred Payton. And if I miss any, obviously feel free to throw some names in there. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the group I I would think about that really jumps out at me that I'm saying, hey, he's missing that guy. So I think that's a good list. You said Beverly number one. I would list Peyton last. I think Peyton's a good player and he's just constantly hurt. He can't stay healthy. Rubio and Joseph, that's a tough one for me. I probably shade a little bit closer to Joseph than Rubio, but they'd probably be in the same tier. So I'd, I'd have Beverly tier one, Rubio, Joseph tier two, and Peyton tier three just because of the injury concerns. I want defense. I want passing. Probably the biggest concern with Rubio is the lack of shooting coming off of the bench. The Kings are a team that needs shooting. Well, every team needs shooting. So that would maybe put him slightly below Joseph. But like I said, same. But Beverly is, is the clear number one option for me. So say they landed Beverly. Do you see potential of him and Fox sharing the floor together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we see Fox and Yogi occasionally share the floor. We saw Fox and Hill share the floor last year. We see Fox and Bogey share the floor. And Fox has come out and said in the past that he doesn't mind playing off the ball. And with his three-point shooting increasing to, frankly, above league average, you can play them together. Beverly, probably the most underrated part of his game is his three-point shooting. He's a, I think I want to say career 38% three-point shooter. And I believe last couple of years he's hit 40. So not only is he providing defense, but if he's playing off the ball, he can guard the opposing shooting guard if he needs to. And then he can knock down threes when Fox drives. So I wouldn't want to necessarily start them together because now I'm bringing Buddy Heald off the bench, which is kind of a, a waste. But yeah, playing him 25 minutes a game and him and Fox sharing 15, I don't think there's any problem with that. Okay. And then looking at the wings a little bit, I don't have a list of names for you. The one that Rich managed to really sell me on was Danny Green. I think that's a great defender. He can hit the three a little bit there. 
There's also, like we touched on, the idea of bringing Brewer back. I don't know how you feel about Shumper. He was more of just a locker room type guy, even maybe a Rudy Gay. Who interests you on that wing position? I like the idea of Danny Green as well. I don't know why he would come here unless we threw a lot of money at him, kind of like what the Sixers did with J.J. Redick a couple of years ago, because he's only known winning basketball. He's pretty much won his entire career or the last several years of his career. So I'm not sure if he would want to come to a, a possible playoff team. I don't know Danny Green at all, but I can imagine him wanting to stick with a winner. I don't think Rudy Gay would ever come back here. I think we betrayed him in certain ways. We said we were going to do one thing and then did the other with Mike Malone. So there were some things that we did as an organization to him that were ugly. So I don't think he would come back. I kind of like the idea of Wayne Bogdanovich from Indiana. He's going to cost a lot of money, but he's a really good player. And if Dave Yeager is interested in playing Harrison Barnes at the four, which I'm not sure is the best idea, but if he is interested in doing that longer term, you need a bigger wing at the three to kind of absorb some of those blows. And I think he could do that. And then like we talked about, Corey Brewer is another one. One other guy I think the Kings could be interested in is Terrence Ross out of Orlando. He's a good little wing. He's a little bit smaller. He's probably 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. So he's more of a shooting guard, a smaller version of a small forward. But bringing him off the bench for 15, 20 minutes a game, he's a good scorer. I think he would do well on the team as well. So who's your ideal three that you're bringing in? You said Beverly. Is it Beverly, Deadman? Who else do you throw in there? I'd probably take Bogdanovich at that point because I haven't spent a ton of my money. Deadman's going to be fairly cheap. I don't think Beverly will be wildly expensive. So now I've got really Fox Buddy, Barnes, Bogdanovich, or switch those two, and Bagley starting with Bogey, Giles, Yogi coming off the bench. I think that'd be a pretty good group. What do you predict that Bogdanovich really gets, though? Because, I mean, he's been playing borderline all-star level since the all-star. Yeah, he's going to get a lot. It's always tough to call off-season contracts. You're often wrong. I would guess in the $20 million range, maybe a little bit higher. So you're investing a lot, maybe a duplicative position. But if you want to play small ball, play fast, shoot from the outside, he's a decent defender. He's your guy to do that. So yeah, you're, you're investing a big chunk of your money. Part of that might depend on if Barnes opts out and takes a smaller annual salary. If that unlocks another 5 to $7 million in cap space, that might be what needs to happen to make that signing work. But it would definitely be a large investment. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I'd be all for it. I just think that, you know, there's a lot of money there like we're talking about. Is there any names that you don't see really mentioned in the Kings media or within the fan base or that we didn't touch on that you think that they could look towards? Yeah, I think your backup wings, like you mentioned, there's a lot of kind of random names out there that maybe if Brewer walks or gets signed elsewhere, you've got like a Jeff Green who's been okay this year. He's always just okay. You've got Trevor Ariza. You've got Aminu, who's more of a power forward, but he can play some wings. So you're going to look at those peripheral players that might be your 8th, ninth, 10th best player that you sign just as depth quality more than anything. Beyond that, the, the free agent class this year, there's some big stars, but then the class quality isn't superb, I wouldn't say, beyond the stars, especially the draft class that's coming up in restricted free agency. There's not a whole lot of quality players coming out of there. You've got a few. But a lot of times those players drive free agency, those restricted free agents to see what happens, and they're just not there. So I don't see a whole lot of unexpected names. The only other name I could see the Kings signing, which I think would be probably even scarier than Vucevic, would be Kelly Oubre out of Phoenix. He's played really well for Phoenix. The Kings need a wing. He's a young wing. I think a lot of his numbers in Phoenix have been more decent player on a horrible team than good player on a good team yeah. because he wasn't that great in Washington. So that's the one I would watch out for if I were King fans. We might see some rumors connecting us to Kelly Oubre. I saw you put out a tweet. I want to say it was yesterday, maybe the day before, 
on what's the best trade package you put together for Bradley Beal. I'm assuming this is just some hypothetical you threw out there, but it's likely, I mean, you're putting in Buddy Heald and you would need a decent amount more to match salary. Is that something that interests you a little bit or just kind of an idea you were throwing out there? More of an idea. I don't think the Kings have the... Okay, we have to back up, right? So we have to assume that Washington wants to trade Beal, right? Which we don't know because they don't even have a GM right now. But assuming they say, hey, we're going to blow it up. Let's revamp, rebuild. I don't really think the Kings have the most attractive package for the Wizards. You've got, you know, a team like Atlanta, which is probably going to have two top 10 picks this year. That's frankly more attractive than what we can offer. But, you know, let's go through all our hypotheticals and assume that the Kings and Wizards are entering into serious negotiations. Like you mentioned, the package I put together in my head, and I'm not even sure I would pull the trigger, but I think something that would be fair for both teams would be Buddy Heald, Gary Giles, and very little protected first-round pick in 2020. So maybe a top five protected first-round pick. Given the Wizards another quality shooting guard option who's on a rookie-scale contract for one more year and who they can control for many years to come. A good prospect in Harry Giles who couldn't turn into a star, but he also could never really break out. And then you've got, of course, a first-round pick. Feels interesting. When I put that idea, a lot of Kings fans were even hesitant to trade Buddy for Beal. And I think that's where we probably overvalue our players a little bit, which is okay. Buddy's obviously the better shooter. He's a slightly better rebounder. But Beal is a really, 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 really good defender, a really good passer, and he's bigger than Buddy. So he might actually pair a little bit better with De'Aaron Fox, but that's probably the package I'm looking at. I don't know if you were thinking along those same lines as well. Yeah, that was probably what about I was thinking we were looking at. And Beal is also younger than Buddy, I think, right? Yeah. yeah, ironically, he's younger, even though he's been longer. He seems like he's been around for a long time. He is, I think it's about a year younger than Buddy, but he does also have quite a few more NBA miles on him. So I, I don't know how much that really plays a factor. It's a little ironic because Beal's been in the league for so much longer. And of course, we never really know how old Buddy Heald is. But yeah, he is slightly younger than Heald as well. And I do think that he's clearly a better player. I think Beal has an argument to, I don't think he makes it, but there's an argument for an all-NBA third team type level with the year he's had. So I definitely could see them looking at it a little bit, possibly if Beal were to say be on the market. But there also has to be that concern of messing up the locker room a little bit and what you have already going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, chemistry is so important these days. I think Buddy and Bogey are close to being best friends. Buddy, he's been reported to be one of the leaders in the locker room, especially after Iman was traded. People have said that Buddy really stepped up and he's one of the most well-liked guys in that locker room. So you're absolutely right. You don't want to make medium level upgrade, cost yourself the future and mess up your chemistry all at the same time. So I mean, that's the risk of a big trade, a transaction like that. Kind of reminds me of almost what we saw in Minnesota with Jimmy Butler sending out Zach Levine, the pick that turned into Lori Markin and in that type of thing. The Athletics Jordan Brenner put out an article ranking the NBA's young cores, and they went through different people that work in the league, executives, scouts, assistant coaches, GMs, assistant GMs, that type of thing. And they put Dallas as the only team above Sacramento because they see that star potential there. How do you feel about that? I think Dallas and Sacramento are definitely top two. I think there's an argument to be made for either. Like you said, Dallas has the more, I would say, immediate stars. Obviously, you've got Porzingis, who's just incredible when healthy and if he's healthy. And then Luca, frankly, has had a better season than De'Aaron Fox, in my opinion. So you've got the star power there. The issue with Dallas is they don't have any else. So if they lose their pick this year, even if they can sign a decent free agent, there's just no depth. I mean, 
who's their third best player, Justin Jackson, maybe. I mean, that's not a good sign. I think the Kings have a wider base of talent. I think they have a maybe more longevity and more health to their talent, whereas the Mavericks have the more recognizable name. So I would probably, if I were to have to trade one roster for the other, I would keep the Kings personally. If you're adding in the coaching and the ownership, well, maybe not the ownership because Mark Cuban has some problems of his own, but the coaching, Rick Carlisle is obviously a really good coach. So I think either one is fine. I don't know if you land in that same realm, but they're pretty comparable in my opinion. Yeah, I'm about the same there. My concern is the same as you, and it's really obvious, is that the depth, I mean, they're really banking on getting this top five protected pick. I wanted to read you a quote from a former team executive in this article and get your opinion on it. Most of the quotes in here were very positive that they think Fox is huge where having a young playmaker that good where majority of good points are 29 or older. They like the depth and there's so many good young guys. But this one was a little more negative. Sacramento doesn't have a true star. I think Fox is good, but I don't know if he can get to that MVP race level good. And I don't see what their path is to one. Is that a real concern for you? No, just to put it simply, no. I, I, does Fox ever become a top 10 player in the NBA? I have no idea. But if you just go to basketballreference.com and choose Fox, do compare players and just pick random MVP level top point guards around the league and look at their first and second years and look at how well Fox lines up with them. It doesn't mean he absolutely projects to become what they become, but look at him compared to John Wall. Look at him compared to pre-injury Derrick Rose or early on Chris Paul. Any one of those guys, and he looks as good or better. So Fox, the shooting, you know, hopefully the shooting holds up. One season is still not enough of a sample size to say, yep, this kid's going to be able to shoot. We've seen people have random good shooting seasons before but honestly, Fox has the temperament of a star. He knows what he can do, confident without being cocky, I think. And then the other thing I guess I would say to that executive, if they ever had any interest in speaking to me, which they won't, is what about Marvin Bagley? I mean, he looks yeah. like a superstar. He's averaging 15-8 per game in 25-ish minutes. I mean, his per 36 numbers, which is not a perfect statistic by any means, I think we too often use that to project what we want to project in a player. But his per 36 numbers, his per possession numbers, his, his per minute numbers are off the charts, 20 and 10. I think in the month of March, his per 36 numbers, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was something like 28 and 12 on 50% shooting and 44% from three-point range. Just ridiculous numbers. So I would hesitantly say that Marvin Bagley has a higher than De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox plays the more important position, so I think that mitigates some of that. But Marvin Bagley looks like an absolute stud, and he's been 19 years old for most of the season. Yeah, I'm on board with you there. And I think that Bagley, like you said, has the more potential, but I feel like Fox is the identity and clear leader of this team moving forward. But we're running a little bit low on time here now. I wanted to close out. This is a question from Rich. He gave me a little bit of insider information here. It's a would you rather. Would you rather have Raisin Cane's fried chicken free for the rest of your life or the Kings win a championship? Kings win a championship. Go get us some Raisin Cane's. If you're a Chick-fil-A fan, stop being a Chick-fil-A fan. It's not nearly as good as Cane, but I have in and out burger. So I'll take Kings championship. There you go. I'm glad that was your decision. And <laughs> I am a Chick-fil-A fan and I'm questioning myself because I've never had Raisin Cane's. Yeah, I, I don't think there's one in the Sacramento area. I've heard rumors of maybe one being built. We have a couple here in Phoenix. They're slowly making their way up the West Coast, but it's a very simple menu. So I'll say that it's literally just chicken fingers and fries and coleslaw and Texas toast. But who doesn't love chicken fingers, French fries, and Texas toast? So it's good stuff. 
if it's good, you don't need a big menu, you know? That's if right. people are happy with the one item, then you're good with one item. Absolutely. That was all I had for you, Tim. Thank you very much for taking the time. Was there anything else that you maybe wanted to touch on before we closed out here? Yeah, I guess I'll say a parting message, and that's Dave Yeager needs to be back next year. For the fans that don't think he's what we need, he's exactly what we need. Jason Jones released an article today about his relationships with some of the players, and it was a little unclear as to where really Jones landed. The likelihood of finding a better coach who was available this summer is almost non-existent. So we need to bring Yeager back long-term. If we don't do that, there's more than a great likelihood of a chance that we are making a mistake that could cost us this rebuild. I'm the same way. I've heard a little bit of comparisons to Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr. I don't see it. I think this team is headed in the right direction and you got to keep everything rolling the exact same way. To me, that's one of the worst mistakes you can make moving forward right now. Yeah, absolutely. Is Yeager the coach for a championship level team? Who knows? But he's also one of the youngest coaches in the NBA. Coaches grow along with teams. So you got to give him that opportunity to take what he's created and to move that forward. And then when you think he's not the guy anymore, that's when you make the change. You don't make that change just to make a change. Yeah, previously he was a grit and grind guy in Memphis, and now you see him on a top one, top two pace in the league here in Sacramento. So I think he's definitely adaptable, and maybe he does have that potential. So I'm all for it. That's my final message. There we go. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, and you will hear from myself and Rich again on Monday.